Good morning. I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. While you're turning there, I want to address the, the fact that I am not normally in the pulpit two weeks in a row. And that is because, um, as many of you probably know, uh, several days ago, uh, our pastor, Pastor Chris, uh, he received a positive uh, test for COVID. Uh, so he could not be here. Uh, I was just communicating with him, actually, and he is uh, uh, feeling a little crummy, but he's, he's doing pretty well. Um, and so let's go to the Lord in prayer for him and for our time together. Father, we thank you that we can come before you in the name of Jesus. We can come before your throne of grace. We thank you for our pastor. We pray that Chris would be in good health and that it would go well with him even as it goes well with his soul, that you would protect him and his family and, and our church. <laughs> we pray for our time together as we open up your word. I pray that you would open our hearts to behold wonderful things in your word. Pray that the Holy Spirit would illuminate the eyes of our hearts so that we can know the hope to which you've called us, that we would know the, the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, and that we would know the immeasurable greatness of your power towards us who believe. <laughs> open our eyes, open our hearts wider and wider to behold the glories of Jesus. And if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus, I pray that today you would open their hearts to believe. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, be glorified and open up your word to us. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Our passage this morning contains some, some fascinating details. It serves to move the, the narrative of Acts in, into some new directions. But more importantly, this passage paints a beautiful picture of God. It shows us that our God is a God who opens doors and a God who opens hearts. <laughs> He's a God who opens doors for the gospel to be proclaimed, and He's a God who opens hearts for the gospel to be received. So first, let's look at the God who opens doors as we really take these, these two portraits of God and let them fuel our worship this morning. Let's look at the God who opens doors in verses 6 through 10. Listen to the words of Luke as he speaks under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And they, which is Paul, Silas, and Timothy... And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision... Immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us 
to preach the gospel to them. Paul often spoke of open doors in his ministry. He used that language. For example, back in Acts chapter 14, verse 27, he said that God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. We often use that language as well, that, that God opens some doors and closes others, that he provides certain opportunities and he takes others away. And that's exactly what we see in this passage. Now remember, Paul, he has already preached the gospel and planted churches in the Roman province of Galatia. That was chapters 13, 14, and, and 15 with some follow-up. Now he has a new team. He has Silas with him, Timothy with him, and they're looking for kind of a new area of ministry, a new mission field, a new group of people to preach to. And that was Paul's passion. Okay, Paul's heart was aimed at the nations. In Romans chapter 15, we get kind of a, a peek into Paul's mind when he says this in verses 20 and 21. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So with that ambition in his soul to make Christ known, and with, with that fire in his bones to reach the unreached, with the gospel, he passed through Phrygia and Galatia on his way to the province of Asia. In verse 6. So he, he wanted to go preach the gospel in the province of Asia. <laughs> but the Lord closed that door. It says that he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And we don't know exactly what that looked like. How did he know the Holy Spirit forbade him? From going to Asia. You know, maybe they all just had a general sense. This is, this is not the direction that we need to take. Silas, it says that he was a prophet. So maybe the Spirit told him directly. Or maybe there were just problems with travel. It was just physically impossible to get there. Maybe there was extreme opposition. We don't know. But we do know that it was clear to them that ministry in Asia was not going to happen. God closed that door. And sometimes God will close doors in your life. Relationships will fizzle out. Ministry opportunities will come to an end. Good desires in your heart won't come to fruition. And prayers that our Father will answer with a no. Sometimes God says no. It can be hard to accept a, a no. We don't like to be told no. We don't want to take no as an answer. But we must remember that when we're told no, the person speaking is our all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, all-wise, all-compassionate Father. We can trust Him. And parents, you know that if you decide to answer your child's every request with yes, in about two hours, everyone in that house will be in the hospital, at least in my home. 
Yes is not always the best answer, right? Mom and dad know best. Our Father in heaven knows what's best. But it turns out that God's answer wasn't actually a no. It was a not yet. We have the benefit of hindsight that Paul didn't have at the time. And that's because God very rarely discloses what our our future is going to look like. But as we look back to the past, we can see his hand of providence. Hindsight is is 20-20. But we know from later in the book of Acts in chapter 19 that Paul is going to speak the word in Asia when he goes to the city of Ephesus. In chapter 19, verse 10, it says that Paul ministered in Ephesus for two years and all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So Paul was going to preach in Asia, but it was going to wait. God said, not yet. And God's no to you might be a not yet. He might be saying to you, you're so eager to find a godly spouse. And that's a good thing. But not yet. You want to serve God in a particular way, a particular ministry, and that's a good thing. But not yet. You're you're frustrated over your current life circumstances, and I understand but not yet. So how can you tell the difference between a no and a not yet? You have to wait. We have to wait. As much as we don't like being told no, we don't like being told to wait. But God says it over and over again. For example, in Psalm 37, verse 7, he says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Remember that patience is a fruit of the Spirit. God will put us in seasons of waiting to ripen that spiritual fruit of patience in our life to make us more like His Son, the Lord Jesus. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. He is your Maker. He is your Father. And you can trust Him. So having been forbidden by the Spirit to go to Asia, they went to Mysia on their way to minister in Bithynia. But again, it says the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. In this case, God didn't say no, and he didn't say not yet. He actually said, not you. He told Paul, not you. Because from what we can tell, Paul never made it to Bithynia. But Peter did. In Peter's first letter, he addresses that letter to the saints that were scattered abroad in different regions, one of which was Bithynia. So God was going to make sure that the Bithynians heard the gospel. But he was not going to use Paul to accomplish that. He told him, not you. And he can say the same thing to you. There might be an opportunity to share the gospel where it seems like the door gets shut in your face. 
And at the exact same time, God is in the process of opening up a door for someone else to share effectively with them. You may be going for a promotion at work that would give you more time with family, more time for church, more time for ministry. And that is a good thing. Those are good motivations. And God says, not you. And in his perfect plan, in his providence, he gives that job to someone else. If God's response is not you, know that he has something even better in mind for you. And that can sound trite and cliche, you know, oh, oh God has a, has a wonderful plan for your life. But what that doesn't mean is it doesn't mean that everything in your life will go perfectly smooth, that there will be no problems, no issues. It's, it's all going to go great according to our standards. No. But God will have you exactly where he wants you. And that's a good thing. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul says that this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. God does everything in our life, including sometimes telling us no or not yet or not you for your sanctification, to grow you in your faith, to conform you more and more into the image of his son. He will have you exactly where he wants you. Several years ago, six or seven years ago now, I spent a couple weeks in Papua New Guinea. And while I was there, I saw two examples of this very thing. The first was I, I met a woman there, a, a young woman um, about my age, and she was a single missionary living in Papua New Guinea, translating the scriptures into a language that had never had the Bible, sharing the gospel with people who had never heard it. And she told me that when she was a young girl, she grew up in church, and she always wanted to have a family. She wanted to get married. She wanted to have a bunch of children. She wanted to be a wife and a mother. And in high school, she found out that she was not able to have children biologically. And that was devastating for her at first. And then she, she kind of committed just her, her future to the Lord and ended up being sent as a missionary, reaching an unreached people group with the gospel as a single woman. God told her, not you. And then had something far better for her. Not easier. Living in Papua New Guinea is not easy, but better. Now, while I was there, I went for multiple reasons, one of which was to kind of scout it out. Shannon and I had been involved uh, just praying for the work in Papua New Guinea. We had friends over there, and we thought maybe this is a place that the Lord has us to move and to minister to as, as missionaries in Papua New Guinea. And so I went there to just uh, get a feel for it. And while I was there, the Lord made it evident that this is not the place for us. As much as I love what the Lord is doing there, and I, and I pray for that work, I support that work, it wasn't for Shannon and I to move there. But as I came back, Shannon said, so, you know, what do you think? Are we, we going to move? And I said, I don't think so. I don't think so. And a few days later, Shannon said, well, if we're not going to go to the mission field, 
let's send up for foster care. And the Lord gave us our three children. When the Lord says, not you, he has something better in mind for you. A series of closed doors, they can be used to lead you in the right direction. That's exactly what we see with Paul and his team. After receiving a not yet and a not you, they finally discover their new mission. So the team goes to Troas. This is actually where Luke joins the mission. You see in verse 10, the language changes from they to we. So now Luke is with them. He's writing from the first person. And at Troas, at night, Paul receives this vision in verse 9 that we know as the Macedonian call. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So this man from from Macedonia saying, come and help us. Come and, and bring us the gospel. This is how they respond. And when Paul had seen the vision, verse 10, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So after all of this that happened, they concluded, okay, that's where we're going. We're going to Macedonia. We're preaching the gospel. Now the word concluded there, it literally means to join together, to bring together, to knit together. So they were taking all the evidence at hand. They were piecing it together, logically coming to the conclusion that God had called them to preach the gospel in Macedonia. So... If you want to discover God's will, if you want to know what he's called you to do, what his purpose is for you, this passage is extremely helpful. We see that this was a group effort. They they talked this through together. They came to a consensus. Proverbs 15.22 says, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. On our own, we have biases, we have blind spots. This is why discerning God's will is a community project. They got together, they examined God's dealings with them, His providence, what He had been doing in their lives, looking at both the negatives and the positives, the no's and the yeses. We need each other to help us. Now, the text doesn't say specifically, but no doubt they spent time in prayer. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul said, Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Paul was praying for open doors for ministry. And we should pray that God would open doors for the word and give us opportunities to tell others about his son, the Lord Jesus. I think that one way we can go wrong is to think that God should just plop an open door in our laps automatically. We sit back and think, you know, I'll serve the Lord as soon as he makes it crystal clear, 100% certain what he wants me to do. Once I get a vision like Paul, then I'll get to work. That's not what Paul was doing. Paul wasn't just passively waiting around for this vision before he got started. No, he was actively trying to go to seven different locations before the Lord made it clear to him what he was to do. 
He knew which doors were open and which doors were closed because he tried to open every single one of them. He tried to kick them down. And you are never going to find an open door by sitting on a couch, binge watching Netflix. It's not going to happen. Sitting around watching TV, the Lord's not just going to tell you, hey, go do this. We need to make the most of each opportunity. We need to try to open every door the Lord puts in our path. He will guide us. He'll make it clear. But we have to have that kind of veracity that Paul had. And by the way, Paul didn't consider difficulties or challenges to be closed doors. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8-9. through 9. He says, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost... For a wide door for effective work has opened for me, and there are many adversaries. Paul says there are adversaries, enemies, opposition, and this is a wide open door. Not an easy door, but an open door. On this trip, they're about to embark on to Macedonia. The missionaries are going to be beaten with rods. They're going to be kicked out of town. They're going to be thrown in prison. And Paul sees all of this as God-given opportunity for gospel advancement. And he can have that vision because he knows, and we should know, that our God is the God who opens doors. And our God is the God who opens hearts. Let's look at chapter 16, verses 11 through 15. Where Luke says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So the missionary team, the apostles, they leave the port city of Troas and they travel and eventually end up in the province of Macedonia, which is in northern Greece, and ultimately to a leading city of that area, a Roman colony called Philippi. Now, as was Paul's custom, he went looking for a synagogue, but he couldn't find one. And notice he didn't say, oh, that's a closed door. Nope. Paul went looking for the closest equivalent. So on the Sabbath day, Paul and his team went outside the city to the riverside where they thought they might find a place of prayer. Now, the reason they thought this is because to have a synagogue, you had to have a quorum of at least 10 Jewish men. And apparently Philippi didn't have that. And so any other kind of Jewish gathering that wasn't in an official synagogue would be suspect 
by the Romans. They probably had to meet outside the city and probably by the river because they would often use water and different kinds of ritual cleansings. And so they thought that might be a place where people have gathered and, and they were right. They found um, a group of women gathered together for prayer. And whenever Paul found a crowd, you knew what was going to happen next. <laughs> he told them about Jesus. He began to speak. And Luke doesn't record for us the exact words that he used, but we can take an educated guess from the rest of the book of Acts, from his letters, his epistles, that he preached Christ. He preached Christ crucified for sin, Christ raised from the dead, Christ offering forgiveness for sins and eternal life, Christ calling men and women to repent and believe the gospel. And as Paul was speaking... One woman in particular was paying attention, Lydia. This is the woman that God was intent on saving that day. Amazingly, this is actually the first time the gospel had ever taken root in European soil. So Lydia was the first convert to Christ on the continent of Europe. Now, think about all that would happen on that continent in the coming centuries. Think of the theology that would develop from the likes of Thomas Aquinas and John Calvin. Think of the, the Christian culture that would develop, the, the music of Bach or the, or the poetry of Milton. Think of the great missionary endeavors that would be launched, ultimately reaching Africa and Asia and the Americas. And it all started with this one woman. God's kingdom is like a seed, like a small seed that grows into a tree that fills the whole world. Don't despise the day of small things. Be encouraged that you, individual Christian, you are not called to win the nations for Christ. You, individual Christian, are not called to go change the world for Jesus that's not a burden you're meant to bear. Now, now that will happen. The nations will be one to Christ, but that's a mission for all of God's people, for all of human history, and Jesus is going to accomplish that. Leave that to him. But you, you are called to talk to your neighbor, to your coworker, to your classmate, to family and to friends who don't know Jesus. And maybe the Lord does call you to go to another country and to preach the gospel. Maybe he does call you to go as a missionary, but even then you're going to be going just like Paul and finding these, these individuals, these, these simple conversations where you share Jesus. And the Spirit loves to take those small acts of obedience, those short conversations, those the, the simple relationships, those, those acts of love, those deeds of faith, and multiply them 30, 60, and 100-fold in his kingdom. And when you have those conversations, when you're, you're telling others about Jesus, how do you know anything's going to happen? How do you know you're not going to blow it and mess things up? How do you pluck up the courage to start the conversation? You must remember that God is the God who changes hearts. 
Look with me at the last half of verse 14 again. I love this so much. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. This is the doctrine of regeneration on display in a single moment. The Lord regenerated her soul, gave her new life, made her a new creation in Christ, granted her the new birth. She was born again. Think of the words of Ezekiel 36, verse 26. When the prophet Ezekiel is looking forward to the new covenant, the new covenant that we will celebrate in just a few moments as we eat the loaf and drink the cup. He said these words. The Lord says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. He says he will take out that old stony heart, that cold heart, that dead heart that's unresponsive to God. And I'll put in a new heart, a heart of flesh, a living heart that responds to God and to his grace. God gave this new heart to Lydia. And think about who she was. Luke tells us that she was a seller of purple goods, which makes sense. Her hometown was Thyatira. It was world famous for their dye industry, dyeing clothes, different colors. It was a lucrative business. Undoubtedly, she was wealthy. She was well-to-do. She was successful according to the world's standards. And you may be as well. You may be successful. You may be wealthy. You can buy a new car, new house, new technology. You can't buy a new heart. You can't buy a new heart. Lydia was a worshiper of God, Luke says. This does not mean that she was already a Christian, already a disciple of Jesus, but that she was a Gentile, a a God-fearer, someone who wanted to follow the God of Israel. So she was not a Jew, but she was praying to the God of the Jews. So she was religious according to the world's standards. She had the outward appearance of religious observance. She, She prayed. She went through the motions. But you can do all that and not be truly changed. You may have gone to church your whole life. You may have read through the entire Bible cover to cover. You may appear to be very pious, very put together, very well-to-do, but you can pretend to be religious and not have a new heart. Now remember that the heart is not just your emotions. It's not just your feelings. That biblically, your heart is at the core of who you are. It's the center of your identity. It's what makes you, you. Proverbs 4.23 says, from the heart flows the wellsprings of life. That means that every aspect of your life flows out of your heart. The things you do, the thoughts you think, the words you speak, the desires you crave, the choices you make, all of it flows from your heart. So this was no surface level change. This was deeply rooted change. This was a foundational transformation. And you can see the outworking of that new heart in Lydia's life immediately. She was baptized Being immersed in that river was her publicly saying, Christ is now my king. 
She was showing the world, I'm following Christ now. She shared her new faith with her household and their hearts were opened as well and they were baptized. So she immediately wanted to share the news of this Savior who had saved her soul with others. Her open heart had led to an open home. As she showed hospitality, she urged the apostles to lodge with her. She said, if you even judge me faithful, come to my home. This is what happens when God opens a heart. When a heart is changed, everything else will change. When you're born again, your life will look different. Jesus is the great physician. And he specializes in heart transplants. This is why we can share the gospel with confidence. It's our job to open up the scriptures with someone, to talk to them about Jesus, to speak the words, but it's God's job to open up their hearts, to open their minds, to open their eyes. All we have to do is be faithful in telling others about Jesus and God will take care of the results. It is God and God alone who saves. Now, maybe there's someone in your life that you have felt the spirit pushing you towards that you need to share the gospel with them. And you're thinking, I don't even know how to start. How do I bring this up? I feel like they're going to be hostile. Be encouraged. It's not your job to open their heart. It's not your job to convert them, to change them. It is your job to speak the words. The flesh profits nothing. It is the Spirit who gives life. Maybe there's someone in your life that you've shared the gospel with hundreds of times, for decades, and you think they're never going to truly hear it. They're never going to believe. They just dig their heels in. You can't change their heart. The Lord has shown you that. And they can't change their heart. But God can. Go in that confidence. Go in that confidence. He is the one who opens hearts. And notice the next detail. He opened her heart to pay attention to Paul's words. Now this doesn't just mean that she wasn't drifting off to sleep during his sermon. And if you're sleepy, wake up. <laughs> now, she wasn't daydreaming. Her mind wasn't wandering. And then, and then God opened her heart to just, just kind of pay attention. The word here for pay attention is a strong word. It's a, it's a potent word. Jesus used it frequently, and it's often translated as beware. Take heed. This means that she took Paul's words with the utmost seriousness. She realized her desperate need for the gospel. She was overwhelmingly aware that this message was for her, that she needed Jesus personally, as her Savior personally. So ask yourself, why are you a Christian? Why am I a Christian? Why are any of us Christians? It's not because of anything that we did. Nothing. It's because God opened our hearts. He opened our hearts to take heed, to pay close attention, to take Jesus seriously. So we do this very often in Rock 101. I want you guys to think through this and raise your hand. Think through how many times you heard the gospel before the Lord changed your heart, before you believed. 
Raise your hand if you trusted in Christ the first time you ever heard the gospel. How about five times? After five times of hearing the gospel. Ten times. This is roundabout. Rough estimate. Fifty times. Raise your hand if you heard the gospel 50 times before you believed. Okay? 100 or more. That's a lot of us. I am in that camp. 100 or more. Probably 1,000 or more. Now, what happened? For those of us in the 100 plus camp. We heard the gospel over and over and over again. And then all of a sudden, something clicked. The lights came on. We went from seeing Jesus in black and white to seeing him in vivid color. What happened? The Lord opened our hearts. And for those of you who were saved the first time you heard the gospel, what happened? Just like with Lydia, the Lord opened your heart. It is his sovereign work in the soul of sinful human beings. And if you're here this morning and you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, pay attention to me right now. I pray and I've been praying that the Spirit would open your heart as I speak to pay close attention to this message. Your problem is not that you are sick with sin. That you have a few moral blemishes here and there. You need to go add some religion to your life as kind of a band-aid or an upgrade no, the Bible doesn't say that you're sick with sin. It says that you're dead in sin. Dead. Deceased. Devoid of spiritual life. You don't need the medicine of morality. You don't need the therapy of religion. You need the reality of a new heart that only Jesus can give. Oh, may the, may the Spirit make Jesus more real to you right now than ever before. Pay close attention. Jesus' sacrifice can take away every one of your sins. His resurrection from the dead can give you a new life, a transformed life, an eternal life starting right now, this very moment. Cry out to him. Ask him to do what only he can do in giving you a new heart. Because our God is the God who opens doors and he's the God who opens hearts. And he's the God who opens up his table for us. So as we prepare to come to this table of grace, I want to bring your attention to Luke 24. Turn there with me in your Bibles. <laughs> Turn to Luke chapter 24. The word that Luke uses in Acts 16 for open, the Lord opened Lydia's heart. It's also used several times by Luke at the end of his gospel in chapter 24. And this chapter takes place on the morning of Christ's resurrection, where Jesus, he was walking on the road with two of his disciples on their way back from Jerusalem to their hometown of Emmaus. And these two men, they were devastated that their Messiah was crucified. Their hopes had just been shattered, and they didn't even know that it was Jesus himself, risen from the dead, walking there among them. 
talking with them. And as he talked, he opened up the scriptures to them. He showed them from the Old Testament, from the law and the prophets and the Psalms, that the Christ was always going to suffer many things and then enter into his glory. He was going to die and then rise again. And after he's told them that, this happens, starting in verse 28, Luke 24, 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He, that is Jesus, acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. Did you hear what just happened? said their eyes were opened. A few verses later, the same thing is going to happen with the 11 disciples. It's going to say, and their eyes were opened. Jesus opens eyes, opens minds, opens hearts. But their minds weren't just opened as Jesus was talking to them about Scripture. That was part of it. But it says their minds were opened as they broke bread. As they ate that meal, their eyes were opened. They, they recognized Jesus. And we as believers, we need our eyes open wider and wider to the glories of Jesus. That's why this sacrament, this covenant meal is so significant. The Lord's Supper is a time to remember all that the Lord has done for us in the past. But it's also a time where Jesus makes, him known, makes himself known to us in the present. That's why it's called communion. That means fellowship, intimacy. We commune with the Lord. As we eat and drink together in the Lord's presence, I pray that each one of us will have a deeper experience of Jesus drawing near to your soul as he eats with us here. I pray that our hearts would burn within us as he meets with us in this fellowship meal. May he be revealed to us in the breaking of bread. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your eternal word. Help us to worship you in response to hearing your word. God, I pray that you would open up wide and effective doors of ministry in this church and in the lives of every believer here that we can make disciples and proclaim Christ, show, show love to a lost and dying world. I pray that right now you would open hearts. That if there's someone right now who has yet to believe in Jesus, that at this moment, Spirit of God, you would open their hearts. God, I thank you for opening our hearts. 
thank you for the transforming power of your Holy Spirit that you've given to us. God, as we come to this Lord's Supper, I pray that you would meet with us here. That the Lord Jesus would draw near. That the Spirit would comfort us as we eat this bread and drink this cup. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be greatly honored as we continue to worship you. Amen.